Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors became an employee-owned company in 2002, and in 2010, the employees became the majority owners. And despite worldwide distribution, Golden product is still created on the grounds of the original barn in New Berlin using the highest standards for consistency and quality. You can find their products in pretty much every art store, and you can find more about them at goldenpaints.com. Jason Stopa is a painter and writer living in Brooklyn, New York. He received his BFA from Indiana University and his MFA from Pratt Institute. He's a contributing writer to Art in America, Hyperallergic, and The Brooklyn Rail. His recent solo shows include Hanging Gardens at Atelier W in France and The Gate at Stephen Harvey Fine Arts. He's been in group shows at Barbara Davis Gallery in Houston, Honey Ramka in Brooklyn, Wayne State University in Detroit, Venus Over LA in Los Angeles, the Torrance Art Museum in California, and many others. Jason and I spoke about growing up under changing conditions, meaningful abstraction, windows and layers, attention economy, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This city, man, it's something else. I know, it never stops, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, well, where did you grow up? I don't Uh, think I... Did I see... Is that mentioned on the internet? I don't know if it is mentioned on the internet. Um, I, secret, I, top secret stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, secret's out if you guys know. So I was born in Jersey, and then I, I grew up in Massachusetts. So by the time I was seven, we moved, we moved to Southern Mass, across uh, to Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah. And was there until I was 16. What parts of Jersey were the first seven years? Those are your formative years in New Jersey. Inside. Those seven years, yeah. <laughs> deep, deep in my soul, it's yeah. very Jersey. Um, New Brunswick and then Plainfield, yeah. Um, you know, we were we were kind of. I mean, at that point, it was a family of four, and um, it was in the seventies and early eighties. <coughs> and my um, my parents back then didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were kind of, you know, making things kind of work in lesser than ideal circumstances. And by the time we moved to Massachusetts, so we were in the suburbs, you know, so yeah. they, they had kind of caught, caught this wave through the 80s of getting a little bit more settled. And um, what, what, what well, did they do? What were they in? My father worked for Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. You know, it's this really strange thing in that he... Um, yeah, he has a bachelor's degree. My mother has an associate's degree. Uh-huh. And, you know, they raised a family of four in the suburbs of, like, a nice little neighborhood in, in New England. And it's like, you couldn't do that now. Like, right. that's insane. Yeah. Um, I think about that from time to time. Like, the the ease with which you could just kind of, like, forge your own middle-class path back yeah. then. Um, different times. Very different <laughs> times, Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, did a brief stint in the Midwest, um, which is where I did my undergrad. My father's job moved us out to Indiana when I was finishing high school. Mm -hmm. So I finished high school out there, uh, went to undergrad and then, 
after about a year after came out to New York. Yeah. Did you grow up near like Pawtucket, like that area? Yeah, not too far. Because um, isn't that close? I used to always go to this diner. Yeah. It was on the way up when we go to we would go to Massachusetts or Maine. Yeah. And there was this this old timey it was right by Pawtucket. It was this really cool diner. It was like a, one of those train car sort of things. I might know the one you're talking about. Um, yeah, we were in North Attleboro, so like okay. close to Cumberland, not too far from Pawtucket. Um, it's a nice area. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, a lot of woods, you know, it was kind of like this very quintessential Massachusetts kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did, uh, and so you have a brother or a sister? I have two older sisters, one younger brother. Oh, uh, four. I thought you yeah. met family for like mom, dad. Sister, oh, no, brother. no, no. Yeah, no. Uh, four kids. Wow. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a lot. Uh, you know, my parents are, I mean, they're, they're, they're an interesting bunch. I mean, that's an interesting story. They, they were big hippies back in the 70s who then turned religious conservatives uh, in the 80s, like late 80s. Um, and my my siblings and myself along with them. I mean, it was a lot. I mean, we were kind of like at first these like wild kids whose hair was growing way too long and were wearing a lot of corduroy. It then became like these super uh, proper kids with like clean cuts. It was just super weird. Was it like uh, overnight? Yeah, and it kind of was. My father had long hair and a long beard. Cut it all off one day, and like it was like a real You're weird. Like, Who are you? Yeah. He's like a whole new person. Yeah, yeah. You probably uh, have the photos too, of like when it changed. Yeah, some before and after <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's like um, it's like a Weight Watchers ad or something. It's really weird. <laughs> My new life. Yeah, I but um, but I think about the. Um, the lifestyle then was, uh, it was still kind of freewheeling in that we, we had a lot of freedom to just kind of be kids, um, while at the same time kind of having all of this weird religious dogma in the background. Yeah. Um, and of course, my rebellion as a teenager was like to kind of go back to where my parents wa- like were as kids. Like, right. oh no, like I'm actually going to reject all this stuff and kind of like actually find an affinity with like all the progressive values that you once had. And, you know, of course that was kind of like this, like real, um, weird, I think turn of events to kind of be like, Oh, like our son is like who we were. Yeah, (laughs) It was funny. Do you think it would have flipped if like, if their timeline changed where they were sort of like very religious and then all of a sudden they became like hippies that, yeah, that, that I'd be the one who's like... You'd want like, more structure. Yeah. Like, I'm going to college to study. Blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to be a the- theologian now. Like, I feel I, like <laughs> this is like whatever the opposite of what your parents are at that given moment. Yeah. It's kind of like what's cool or yep. what you want to pursue. Yeah. And then like later on in college, you're like in your mid to late 20s, you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, and you start to think differently about your parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. Well, I start to think that like... Um, well, if you don't have a real teenage rebellion, then like something's wrong, right? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like testing the waters. Yeah, you got to draw the line and you know cross it and mm-hmm. see where that line is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's kind of like you're, you ever watch like nature videos of like lion cubs and they're just like mauling each other, it's like they're getting ready. <laughs> sure, you know, it's like testing the waters for what's yeah. to come. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like some sort of preparation, rite of passage stuff. Um, It'd be weird if you were 18 and like your parents were still your best friends. Yeah. Like, you guys are so cool. Right. <laughs> I know a couple of people who did have that kind of experience, but um, yeah, definitely skeptical. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, did, 
was creativity always there or did that kind of inject itself in a more prominent way whenever this desire to go back to the free and easy days came about yeah you know i think um i think creativity was always there uh it didn't really come into view until it must have been must have been somewhere in junior high early high school like 14 15 years old um really at the height of all of that kind of rebellion like okay i'm 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 going to start hanging out with art kids and punk rock kids and yeah. hip hip hop kids and kind of like trying to kind of get at music and culture that was just not not the mainstream and that that was still a time in which you could still not be a part of a mainstream which yeah. was um kind of a beautiful moment so like yeah people would pass you CDs in a hallway and be like oh you should totally check this out and um I just kind of went down that rabbit hole God thank uh, God for music yeah yeah, it's, it's really the release, isn't it? It really is. I feel like it was actually music first and then art second. Like it was like finding all this like really weird underground music, and then that kind of like spawned a lot of like being in my studio and doing stuff. Um, yeah, because music's so direct that yeah. I think it can hit you faster. Yeah, totally. you know when you see, you know, like a Helen Frankenthaler painting. Yeah, it, it takes a minute. I mean, you can you can enjoy the beauty of it, or yeah. The, you know the sort of freedom of that sure but it takes a layer of kind of understanding where that came from and all that where you hear acdc or public enemy <laughs> right you know right, what i mean sure, you're yeah. just like okay yeah i can align myself with this yeah totally um yeah i mean it's kind of the beautiful thing about music i'm like i'm so jealous of of music as an art form and in, in fact it, it seems because of its directness you don't have to have the kind of like formal training or historical background or any number of other things um or or, or just a sense of like why this is being paid attention to like you don't have to like have that stuff i think it can be like really intimidating actually as an artist to try to like break that down but also at the same time like keep it on a level that does give it some sort of legitimacy it's like well you know this isn't the same thing as you know other kinds of visual experiences and and does require some time and some effort without asking you to like you know read read some like you know hundred page volume of something you know but yeah yeah, but music is just it just bypasses that but yeah i i fell into a group of kids who were into punk and hardcore and 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 conscious rap and all of this stuff and we're just um yeah i mean it kind of saved kind of like saved my my teen years for sure yeah it's funny i guess that's why our what is great about it too is that it does have this deeper level of investigation into meaning and its sure. relationship to the past and history, but it is, it takes more, you have to slow down. Yeah. You have to broaden it, but, and that's why some people get annoyed by it. It's sure. like, well, I don't, I don't want a manual. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like cooking is just, I mean, cooking and music relies just as much on the past or its influences, but it, it doesn't, weigh so heavily on you know the person's experience of of it you yeah, know what i mean yeah. whereas art it, it's so much more integrated into your sure kind of understanding of where that's coming from and what it means right now yeah like yeah like nobody's going to be like oh do you know the history of apple pies like right. <laughs> like right it's like irrelevant right whereas like people are going to ask you those kinds of questions in art school and you're right. going to have to like field them yeah yeah <laughs> 
That would be a great investigation of like historically mining food <laughs> and its relevance. It's right. Like, well, you know, your paella yeah, yeah. is taking from this. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I guess those are the pluses and minuses. I think as an artist, you look at music, or at least, you know, I think a lot of people look at music as this like real direct, like, you know, we play the sounds right in front of you. You hear them at this concert and it's just, you know, yeah. it's very direct. Sure. I'm sure musicians like, also admire artists that you can sort of work in your studio and mm-hmm. kind of like spend all this time on what you're making. Right. Then you just hang it up and you don't have to be there. You can walk away and people could just go and experience it. Yeah. It's yeah. such a different but similar thing, I think. Yeah. Well, I think one of the great things about um, visual art, especially stuff that's like a static object, pl- sculptures, paintings, is how it, um, because it's like compressed time, it, uh, it in a very direct way tells us like the way that something came together. Maybe it came together over days or weeks or years. Um, but all of that is like fused to the same surface Yeah. versus, you know, that three minute or four minute long song. And if you want to hear it again, you have to go back and repeat the thing. Right. Yeah. Um, that time base. Yeah. And you could have a sample that's of, you know, something like James Brown and one, yeah, you know, chorus or something, and then later on in the song, you could have something that's like Beethoven sampled. Sure. So you're trans, you yeah. know, you're moving across these great distances of time mm-hmm. within like seconds. Yeah, it's kind of a cool, yeah, you know, think time wise how mm-hmm. differently it it works. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when you, how was art school? Did you, and what were you yeah. doing there? It's funny. So I went to IU, mm-hmm. um, which is a very traditional school in many ways you will be really required to engage with the figure and the landscape uh it's one of these schools that's kind of known for producing students who are classically trained in some formal education about art making not quite as like intense as maybe like the new york academy of art where like you really see these students who are like trying to be like some 19th century artist, but just shy of that. There's um, so, I mean, in some respects that was nice, but it was also some, the very thing that I was like, I had no interest in. Yeah. Um, I was doing abstraction from the jump. <clears throat> yeah. From, from the jump. <laughs> and, uh, and um, everybody around me, except for like a handful of people were kind of like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, and, um, and then when I went to graduate school, I told myself, now I think I actually want to learn how to like render. And Same to, thing from the parents. Yeah, yeah. Just constantly. <laughs> when like, you get out of that environment, <laughs> yep. reflect back on the one before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I went to Pratt for grad school, which is a very abstract painting-based school. Right. It still is. I mean, I've been teaching there now for four years, and I think about the kind of student that we tend to produce. And, you know, there, there are people who engage with realism in a variety of you know, ways of making a painting, but there's also, I think, a heavily skewed ratio of people who are doing some sort of like lyrical abstract painting. Yeah. Um, and so the whole time I was there, I was doing this like photo-based kind of stuff. It was really melancholy. It was also like, like Luke Toyman's was like really hot back in 2008. Um, Peter Doig, Neil, there was a Neil Rouse show at the Met that year. Um, there was a lot of like that kind of thing um, taking place. And I was like, oh, I want to insert myself somehow in that conversation. 
Was it narrative um, in like kind of like a loose, very ethereal, loose. Yeah. figurative narrative yeah. relationship? Yeah, a lot of space, a lot of like um, a, a de- definitely a kind of ethereal kind of imagery, um, very suggestive kinds of uh, potential meanings and narratives that were there. N- nothing was super fixed. Um, I think it's so interesting to think about like how different of a moment that is or was in relation to like what's going on now where like the narrative and a lot of like representational painting is like very explicit. Right. And it's like trying to kind of get at issues of representation and uh, race or sexuality or gender. And um, like you, they're, they're, it's like they're trying to communicate something in a kind of like literary fashion sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was, that really wasn't that moment like 12 years ago for representational work. It was like this, you know, experiential like what the hell am i even looking at kind of stuff going on embracing the fog yeah yeah. remember like in those times people would say like well if i wanted to just make the statement i'd write it (laughs) yeah totally like you want that mystique or Mm -hmm. some sort of like like you would hear in critiques well i'm just getting it all here like i I need to be kind Mm -hmm. of like you know i I need some abstraction within the representation totally yeah i think it's actually a it's an unfortunate moment in that there's so much emphasis on things being communicated in some sort of like one-to-one kind of fashion. I also don't think that that's like art's strong suit necessarily. You can do that. I mean, and sometimes it can be successful, but um, I think it has a, a a way of kind of making art about storytelling mm-hmm. and that, that once you receive the story or understand the story, you understand the painting. And I, I'm definitely a painter who doesn't believe in that as a mantra. I think that we can always understand some part of a painting or the reasoning behind it or intentions, but trying to understand it as a whole is kind of, you know, it's it's as easy as trying to understand ourselves. It's like, well, good luck. Like, you might be able to understand some of the big chunks of it, but you're never going to be able to understand the full thing. So, right. yeah. like, and, and that's the beauty of it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to feel like I've got it all figured out, you know? It's like poetry. Yeah. You know, that you're not going to know exactly, well, not all the time, but you know, some of the greats, you don't yeah. know exactly what the story is. You know, it's more yeah. the feeling of it or sure. the questions it asks. Yeah. And that it irritates a lot of people. <laughs> well, most people hate poetry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, but yeah, we're, we're also living in a moment and people don't like, um, they don't like ambiguity. I mean, yeah. it's such like an anti-nuance, anti-ambiguous moment. It's like, they want to know exactly what they're working with so that they can judge it, place it into a category, decide how they feel about it, and move on. Like it's, al- it's, it's almost like the ambiguity has been transmuted into facts, which yeah. aren't facts. Yeah, yeah. Do you totally. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's black and white. Right. But black isn't necessarily black and white isn't... You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's kind of like you, your, your, your ambiguity can just be disguised as like, oh, this is real, or yeah. this is a fact. So yep. weird, isn't it? Yeah, it really it ha- is. It must have to do with technology and how information's being disseminated. Yeah. And our art. But I don't know that we're evolving as fast as all that is mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, able to digest it completely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just there's way too much information, right? Way too much that any one person can digest. And um, I think it. I think it's like made it very, very difficult for people to parse out like what's worth paying attention to and what's not. And How do you think you know, that's affecting, you know, looking at a painting or a sculpture? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I think there's a, um, 
I think there's a tendency now to look at as, as an abstract painter. I mean, so after after grad school, I really returned to abstraction. But what was interesting is that I then had this like vocabulary of trying to engage with representation for a while. And so now I see my paintings actually as like some middle ground. You know, there's like stuff that you know, um, but it's been abstracted. Um, I think there's a lot of abstraction that's taking place now from social media that we look at and we're just like we're looking at it like for the aesthetic value that it has yeah like do i like the color in that thing um we're not really looking at it to like ask questions about how it's engaging with abstraction as a as a vocabulary i totally agree yeah i feel like there's a lot more of like i really like that yeah and yeah. it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? I know it's exactly. Because like yeah, young, yeah. students too, yeah. like younger artists I find are much more like, well, I just, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have that weight of like, well, what does it mean? Sure. And yeah. That's just this or that's just that. You know what yeah. I mean? That's like, it's like a passe thing to like do now. It's like, why, well, why are you taking this so seriously? Right. Like this kind of attitude. Um, but I guess my, my kind of response to like, to it is well if we're not taking it seriously then why should somebody 50 years from now continue to care about what it is we're doing like why should they continue to write about it or potentially historicize it put us in some you know revival group show you know like oh like look at what this artist was doing back in the early 2000s that like we totally forgot about and like here's why it's interesting because it was engaging with dot 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 you know as opposed to just just kind of being like oh that's a lovely nice aesthetically pleasing thing right the end you know yeah see i think in this age of snapchat I don't know that people are necessarily interested in the long view. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) Yeah. Someone's using, like, these materials that are obviously going to fall apart in, like, five, ten years or something, and then you say, well, what about the permanence of the... eh, Sure. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, kind of like, you're just worried about now, whether you like it now, and you're not thinking about, will people remember this in 70 years? Yeah. Because a lot of stuff that people do now, I think because everything is so hyper analyzed in social media or on the internet or that they almost want it to just be like here take a look for a second and then it's gone and you don't want it to linger around forever i don't think that's as desirable as you know like when i was coming up people in art school would be like well i want to be remembered or i don't know that people actually said that but there was this thing was like the great artists are remembered you know, across time. Yeah, yeah. And then if you don't make that first or second tier, you're you're gone. It's yeah, yeah. going away. Sure. Well, I mean, it's. I think there's still some merit to that as a statement in that. Well, look, like if if sixty, seventy years from now, if my work doesn't continue to be photographed and um, available, links links you know don't die out, and there's probably a good chance that they will. Um, well, then it kind of uh, it gets erased from like the the vocabulary of the internet um, that was my moment. You know, maybe that stuff is live and around now, and maybe for the next five or ten years, what happens twenty years from now if that website all of a sudden is kind of like okay, we're done, and they just archive everything, and I no longer have access back to that link. Yeah. Um, and uh, my work doesn't get in storage somewhere in some vault or something; it just winds up like slowly kind of deteriorating in some attic, you know, like however sad that might sound like it's a <laughs> one day people will no longer have that as a reference point to kind of go back to myself right. and a number of artists. And so then it does kind of get lost to time and history. And 
um, just becomes like a footnote of a footnote of something. Right. And um, so I think, I think it will, I think time is going to win out in the end. Uh, if we have a planet to inherit in another hundred yeah, or two hundred years, that's, the bigger question. <laughs> yeah. that's like we're rearranging deck chairs on yeah. the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there might totally. be bigger issues. Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting to think these days of you know how we just we've just used this stuff to categorize or you know to to present it. Yeah. So many people encounter our work mm-hmm. through images, sure. Than going to see a show. Yeah. You know, which you know that in a way that's great. People can, you know, they don't have to go to New York or Los Angeles or London to see it. Sure. But um, just in the old days of like how slides, remember when slides and then you went digital? Yeah. You would have to look at slides. I mean, it wasn't the ideal way to see work. Yeah. And it really, when when digital images happened or, you know, it totally changed the way people experience and remember. Mm -hmm. Well, I wonder how now will be remembered in a way. Because it's completely different too, because it's not just digital images on a CD-ROM or something. Now it's... You've got the ephemera with it, you right, know, the right. screen grab of like the comments about whatever it is, or, you know, like sure, that stuff. Yeah, it's hard to know though. You yeah, know, we're just like it's new territory. Yeah, it really is. I mean, a lot of the paintings I've been making in the past few years are trying to address, in, in some very subtle way, the the fact that I'm always looking at an image of an image of the thing, like, um, and that 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 thing is the thing that gets trafficked. You know. It, becomes a two inch by two inch image on my phone and and then that becomes trafficked and understood as as the thing but that presents itself as just another window for viewing the painting um yeah i i there's a lot of things that i think are still kind of being hashed out i think some artists are trying to address it though in some sort of like subconscious way it's like seeping in to a lot of art making these days i see it in representation i see it in abstraction like for instance i think of like um like like lauren clay like Mm -hmm. um is somebody who i think is engaging with like there's like architectural spatial object relationships that are going on that are also about like disorienting the way that we encounter objects in in a space um yeah there's there's a number of other painters who i feel like are after something similar who are like trying to tackle this really blurry line now a ton of people are like painting walls and galleries and floors and such um i'm one of them uh i think it works when when it's like doing something that like is is necessary for the paintings or for the sculptures like it there's some interaction that's happening that necessitates that or facilitates some space object relationship as opposed to just being like, look, I like made a pretty wall, you know? Um, and, uh, I think that's about trying to kind of like get at the fact that seeing the thing in real space is a really radically different way of like seeing the thing online. And we kind of all uh, know that, but we, we've kind of taken it for granted now that we're so used to just seeing things online. We're kind of like, well, wait, there's really something important about seeing that thing. My friend Trudy Benson um, does some similar stuff. Kelty Ferris, I think, does some similar stuff. Rachel Rosen, some similar stuff. Um, where there's just like they're they're asking questions about like their the status of this object now. Like, what does it mean to be a painter making paintings in an age in which most people aren't seeing the painting anymore? Right. Well, how did you so? 
in operating in that method and the painters you just brought up, there's a specific kind of abstraction going on there. Mm-hmm. Like in your work, it feels like language of brushstrokes or language mm-hmm. of color. It's, it's kind of like a vocabulary of painting. Yeah. You know, whereas Trudy's feels a little more about the language of physicality. Mm-hmm. And then taste is in there too. Sure. Because it's so, you know, what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Kelty seems a little more, there's like a, a touch of digital feel to it, but I don't think that's exactly what she's going for. But there's this kind of like process of, you know, removal and, mm-hmm. and layering and, you know, depth. And, sure. So is it always or is it most of the time, you know, involved with abstraction? Does that make it easier to talk about those windows and those layers? And mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or does that happen with representation too? Hmm. I mean, I think it can happen in representation. Um, there, there are there are definitely moments where it, it takes place. I think of like um, like Didier William. Mm-hmm. I think is somebody who does a lot of staging, but those stages are like false stages or false spaces, um, where some other kind of maybe more sinister thing is happening. Sometimes, um, I mean, I think in, in like classical. Uh, classically oriented paintings it can happen um i don't know if it's like the i don't know if it's like the topic of the thing though right like it's um it's a it's a backdrop of it right well did, did abstraction for you it came first in your sort of like exploration yeah and then this idea of the windows and the layering and mm-hmm. you know kind of like building out off the wall and then on the canvas in different windows mm-hmm did abstraction just work within that? And what, how, what's the relationship to, you know, that idea of the way we see things with the language of abstraction that's going on in your paintings? Yeah. And were you doing that kind of work? Like when you came out of school or was it? No, that was more figurative. Yeah, it it was. Um, or, or more representational. Um, I was doing this work. I have this series, the first series that like I did after grad school, which is called like Brooklyn Zoo. It was mm-hmm. like my first solo show in New York back in 2014, and um, it had like basketball nets and uh, things from like 99 cent stores and um, all kinds of just uh, stuff that was like iconographic or like sign based. But then I was using it in some sort of like abstract language. So there's still like these like framing devices or like some idea of like some window like space in the painting that I was trying to make. Um, I mean, that's something that I, has been the subject for paintings for a long time. Like I think um, like Matisse's paintings when he's like, like from like 1905 to like maybe like 1916, 1917 before he goes to Nice is like this moment where he's like, there's like a a lot of windows in those rooms that he's making, um, some sort of like perspectival space where you walk into a studio like space, like in the red studio, Mm -hmm. but then there's paintings on the wall. And so it like flattens out like an abstraction again. Um, it's like an idea that I think people have been thinking about for a long time. And I was just like, well, what if I get rid of like any of the illusion and just talk about windows and, and fences and, and gates and like things that open and close. And then that can be the idea of a painting and that can be the idea of an abstraction. I'm doing some stuff right now in the studio that's like a little less on the nose about it. 
I feel like the past few years that I've been doing it, there's like an explicit, like matter of factness about it. Like, okay, this is what it is. Um, like you kind of understand what I'm trying to talk about. And now I'm trying to kind of fuss with that so that maybe there's a window or some opening in there or some perspectival space that it's not, um, it's not going to be as, um, again, as explicit about itself. Um, yeah, but yeah, I like to think about painting as like, we've seen so much abstraction that you can talk about it as like moves, like this kind of gesture being analogous to this, this kind of mark being analogous to that as if it's like an alphabet or something, you know, which is kind of like an absurd idea, like in a way, because of course those things don't have specific meanings, but Mm -hmm. they have uh, maybe historical meaning. Um, Right. But I think it's, I think it's a, uh, a fun way of making painting about like, um, almost like a game, you know? Yeah. Um, like Charlene von Heil, I think is somebody who also thinks that way. Yeah. Like where it's like, I've got all these tools in a toolbox and I'm going to try to keep them all in play. And I'm going to see what those tools make or don't make, you know? Right. Yeah. There would be a, there's a great show there, a group show of windows and paintings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from like, or doors. Sure. You know, that kind of, remember those Gary Hume paintings yeah. that look like the hospital doors? Totally. Yeah. Even like things like Joe Bear's abstractions where it's just around the edge. Those borders, yep. those feel like windows. Too. Yeah. I mean, you could get loose with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a, lo- a long history of this stuff for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think of um, a number of painters who, um, who've been trying to kind of get at it too. Um, I mean, I even think of like some of like Peter Halley's work, like yep. those like smokestack prisons, like, that those are kind of about like some abstract representational idea, you know? Yeah. Um, Mary Heilman, maybe less about doors or windows, but definitely like roads or like, you know, some sort of like acid waterfall kind of thing happening. Like there's some sort of like experience with some space happening in those paintings. Yeah. Yeah. You can even throw a Magritte in there. Sure. Those window ones. Yeah. Pretty great. Yeah, they really are. I think it's funny that I don't I feel like there's not a lot of shows like that. Like a show about mirrors in painting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you could sculpture. Sure. I mean, especially now in the selfie age when you go to every art fair and there's totally. at least five to ten <laughs> mirror pieces so yeah. people could take photos of themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah. would be a great show right now. Well, like every <laughs> fair now has to have like that thing that people are gonna take yeah. selfies at. Yeah. It's become like a gimmick. The Instagram, like we gotta put the Urs Fisher here because <laughs> everyone's gonna take a photo of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um well, you know, do you remember like, I don't know, ten years ago how there used to be a lot more group shows in New York that actually did have like these like themes yeah. that they were trying to tackle. Now it's kind of like here's a bunch of artists who kind of look alike right. and uh and we're gonna come up with some like loose arbitrary thing to group them together with it's usually like the name of a song or something like a a book or something yeah poetic and yeah loose yeah and it's just kind of like an excuse to put on a show it used to not be like that though at all used to be a lot more like people were like really thinking about it and then like your summer shows were that your summer shows were kind of like oh like yeah like friends yeah 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 we're just gonna do this thing it's cool whatever (laughs) it feels like group shows really have become kind of a summer thing you see much less of them but then maybe art fairs are today's group show in a way it's just a big group show yeah 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 because nobody remembers like what was in it you just remember going and being like oh cool and that's kind of like that's all you're gonna get yeah right you just swoop through yeah, yeah. I did. A, I curated a show 
a few years back called Black and White, and mm-hmm. I wanted the work the artists in it to have nothing to do with each other necessarily. Yeah. And it's just all black and white imagery. Because huh. it was after the Picasso black and white show, which oh. I loved. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everyone from like Al Held mm-hmm. to like, you know, Diana Al Hadid, you know, like people who you wouldn't sure. normally see their work together. But I just love the idea of the theme being the only thing that's tying it together. Yeah. Yeah. And the artists don't necessarily have much to do with each other, you know? Sure. Yeah. Which I think is a fun way to see work. Yeah. I kind of like that. Those curated shows that are, I guess they both work. The Friends shows are nice too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're fun. I mean, to kind of be grouped together and community. Yeah, nice. yeah, for sure. I Which mean. I think has improved. I don't know how you feel about it. Huh, really? But when I was first here, when I moved here and first started showing, it didn't feel quite as community-ish. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe in a different way. Yeah. Like you had your friends that you were tight with, but I guess now it's so much easier to communicate and just drop someone a line and be like, "Hey, you want to?" You know, just send them a direct message and be right, like, you right. want to stop by. So yeah. it's become a little easier to share and to feel connected in that way. Yeah, yeah. But it feels more supportive and less competitive than it used to. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. Yeah, it feels a little less competitive. You know what's changed for me is it used to feel like the art world was this thing. It's like, uh, and there was like a singular kind of art world. And now it feels like there's just multiple yeah. art worlds that sometimes overlap and sometimes are just like their own right. entity. Um, it was real hierarchical yeah. too. Yeah, it really it was. It was like the art world. Yeah. There were other people who were doing like street art or, you know, like mm-hmm. other things, but people were like, no, nah, that's just... Right. Yeah. There was now like- that's selling at Christie's. For- <laughs> 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 like, no, that's the art world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's anything and everything now. I mean, I think it just kind of reflects the way that the whole culture has become this... Um, sprawling thing now where like yeah. you there's no longer the kind of like singular anything about anything like it's there's a big collage yeah yeah it really isn't is. that good though in a way or i guess it dilutes some intensity of some things but it's more yeah. inclusive it's definitely more inclusive i mean there's way more people that have access now to the art world than there ever has been that's right. for sure it's like, not like the bauhaus where there's yeah. like 40 white guys yeah. like, this is this is good yeah yeah totally. everything else is not good right <laughs> <laughs> like that never i mean that's yeah. not yeah today, it's not, that's know. not coming back yeah um i mean i do i think that the issue is that there's um it's really hard to assess uh, or have a sense of like what in a shifting landscape is worth really paying attention to and what's not worth your time. Right. Um, I feel like my, my, my judgment call for like liking things was way different before like social media. I totally agree. Where I was kind of like, I'd scrutinize things and I'd be like, ah, like I really want to go see that thing in person. Now I like stuff on my phone where I'm like, I have no, I have no clue what that thing looks like. (laughs) Like I'm just liking it because a lot of other people liked it too. And it, it is kind of cool. And like, like my, my threshold is like low. Um, and so it's just, it's the criteria has changed for like what passes, you know? And I think that, that's that's an an issue in that like um it kind of means that it's a little bit more of a free for all and uh and there's bound to be a lot of stuff that just like gets through the door that yeah. you know doesn't doesn't really deserve to go through that door. Right. I mean and that's always been the case but like now I think more so than ever. There's like shows of stuff where I'm kind of like really like <laughs> 
like this is this is a real outlier this is a huge risk um whereas before that was like the purview of like a few galleries in in the lower east side where it's like oh man like they're doing this show that's like a little off the wall and like showing this artist that like nobody's ever heard of Mm -hmm. like whoa now it's like that just happens that that's like may right like that's just like any time (laughs) in new york city somebody's going to be doing that you know it's like the guy walking down the street you know playing the tuba naked in Times Square versus, <laughs> yeah. versus in, you yeah. know, I don't know, like Des Moines, Iowa yeah, or something. totally, totally. Like you just get used to it. I mean, it, I don't know. I, do you think that's why criticism has kind of like, hmm. the impact of criticism has changed because there's so many voices and there's so many yeah. people who can like and, and sort of vet things in a way, you know? Yeah. Oh, they've got... 20 million followers so this has to be good yeah 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 well th- there's like an audience for everything now yeah know? like there's an audience for like things that are really sophisticated an audience for things that aren't uh, an audience for things that are popular an audience for things that aren't and um i think that's i for, for me the the i think it's a little false to believe that um that somehow it's it's just way more democratic now. It's like, well, something's all, always going to be making judgment calls. It's the algorithm now. That's yeah, what, right? and that's what that's what it is. The algorithm makes judgment calls about uh, about popularity, about taste, and it becomes like, well, if the popular is good and the good is true, then it's like this nice neat little equation but it's it's actually just like a really capitalist equation like it yeah because they just want to sell you like the algorithm yeah. is purely there yeah to get either clicks or to to get money for yeah. advertising or to get you to buy something totally yeah which is weird that like culturally our aesthetic or our culture is being shaped by i mean maybe it always has been by money i don't know maybe the medicis were paying you know what i mean like <coughs> right right but yeah. it's just it's so like part of it now it's, yeah. it, i i feel like it's like bald face like just, totally. you know yeah like these algorithms to get you to click on things can be they'll just put up the worst things in the world just so you like follow it and be like oh yeah i want to see that train wreck yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah is sure. that good for society yeah. <laughs> but i yeah. think that's what it is it's like yeah. and it's not even like they're trying to do that it's just what people will pay attention to sure. or click on or follow you know? yeah well it's not neutral i mean i think that's the thing is that a platform isn't neutral in and of itself. It has its own agenda. Yeah. Uh, even if that agenda is simply to kind of like continue its own promotion and trafficking and advertising and, and um, that like, that's what it's, that's what its goal is. Right. And like the goal of art is actually something else, right? Like this, the goal of art is to have something that has like lasting value, like lasting importance, something that I go back and continue to think about or feel or consider at some point in the day, like if it doesn't do that, then like we're all kind of fucking up, like yeah. right, like we, I'm not doing my job as an artist if, and nobody else is if, if somehow, after that show or after that thing, it just ceases to kind of be something that um, has some sort of uh, power, um, and I, I think that's the problem is that because the the attention is so diffuse, it's like the attention economy. So like the attention is so diffuse that. There's, there's not like, oh, well, I should be really paying attention to this and maybe not so much to that. It's like, no, like my attention's kind of like everywhere and nowhere at all times. Yeah. And, um, and of course there are things that like I should give a shit about and things that I really shouldn't. And, uh, and 
I have to stop now though and like tell myself those things or like recenter in order to kind of like get at what that is. Yeah, but I don't know if humans as a collective species yeah. are strong enough <laughs> to have so many distractions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yes, there will be here and there, there will be people who yeah. will go off the grid or will just stick to this one agenda. I'm always impressed with someone who, right. you know, like I'm going to create something that cleans plastic out of the oceans and they right. dedicate their life to that. It's sure. amazing. But most people are like, oh, well, Game of Thrones is on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah, like a yeah. really hard, like you see yeah. it. Like I don't watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. My wife does, and so does the rest of the world, pretty much. Yeah. But that day after, the other day, I mean, people were just, that's all you would hear about. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's really so true. So the rest of the world doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, like, you know, in in down south, they've decided that some people can't control their bodies or something. People yeah. are like, oh, but did you see the yeah. <laughs> Like, are we capable yeah. to override all yeah. the, the noise yeah. that's going on? I mean, I don't think we are. I mean, we're just kind of like, we're in a... I mean, I think we're admittedly in a little bit of a, 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 not a little bit, in a major downturn culturally in that there's a, um, there there isn't a sense of um, like prioritizing things, at least in American culture. I mean, it might, I I mean, we're we're kind of American centric, um, but I'm sure when I go other places and meet other artists from other international communities, there is a little bit more of that. Like the community is invested in like what is being produced culturally and yeah. it's like is engaged with it, is like reading about it. Here it's just become, um, it, like, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's kind of one of the many, many reasons why like Donald Trump is a popular president and remains so. Like any other person would have like received like such a low, low approval rating at yeah. this point. Like, like abysmally low, right? Like 10%. But because he's so media savvy, like he knows how to like pander to his base. He knows how to like present himself as this like every man. And he speaks with a kind of like, like a, a quickness and simplicity about like what you should be paying attention to that. Like for a culture that has such low attention span and let's also face it like low education, um, in comparison to some other countries, like it, it, it's, it's like a a perfect model. It's like, Oh, like here's somebody who's just like giving them the quick sound bite. They digest it. They're angry and now feel this way about it. And now you're going to move on. Um, whereas, you know, other countries, I feel like the bar is still kind of like, no, we kind of want to raise the bar a little high artistically, culturally, whatever, politically. And we're going to hold people accountable to that. Right. Um, yeah, I think there's just like a real turning away from from what that stands for. Like this is just like the most anti-intellectual moment I feel like I've ever seen uh, as an adult where like where like scientists are kind of like we don't think you should be in like positions of governmental agency anymore because right. we're skeptical of like your your beliefs even if it's for political reasons we're going to convince people that it's because we're skeptical of your it's kind of like it's absurd yeah. like yeah. um but they think the same thing has kind of happened in the art world that there's like a, um, well, it's got all the right messaging and platforming taking place. And so it must be relevant. And it's kind of like, well, no, like, like I, I told a student this past semester it was kind of fascinating. I said, well, something could have the right political message, but still be a pad painting. I was like in the same way that like, 
you know, like I, I'm sure I wrote an ex-girlfriend at like 17, some love poem. And I'm sure it's a terrible poem. I hope nobody ever finds it. I'm sure it's in some landfill now. Um, but it was like a 17 year old's heartfelt, like, Oh my God, I love this girl kind of thing. Right. Lots of us have done that kind of thing. It's looking back, it's kind of trite. It's kind of cheesy. It's like super cliche ridden, right? It's not interesting poems about love at the same time there have been like amazing works of literature and art and poetry about love so like it can't just be that like the message is right and so therefore the thing is right it has to be like it's got to be like a much higher bar than that yeah yeah your subject matter doesn't just validate it as you know meaningful necessarily you know the the ideas might be meaningful, but sure. maybe the work falls short. Yeah, you know? totally. I mean, it's kind of the tricky thing with like a lot of social practice that's happening is that like it, it tries to kind of like um, sidestep the whole issue of whether or not you can evaluate something because it's like, well, look, I'm trying to talk about the environment right now or I'm trying to talk about um, gender or racial inequality. And it's like, well, those are incredibly important topics and incredibly relevant topics. Does that mean that this thing that you made is interesting? Well, let's find out. Like, right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold the jury out on that until I kind of like take a look at what you did. And you know, if it seems like it's really derivative or you know, something that doesn't add much to the conversation or just tells me that, like, look, the environment's in a bad place, it's like, well, I, I didn't need to come to your artwork to know that. Right, like, right. you got to tell me something more. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's and. I think it's it's such an individual thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the whole idea of social practice as, I mean, making art is social practice, mm-hmm. you know, compare, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, it's, there's so many different levels of those things, you know, that I think for it to be prescriptive in any way is, is tricky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm always skeptical of the, the idea of validating it necessarily. Mm-hmm. But when they line up, it can be some of the most powerful stuff you ever experience. Totally. Totally. But it's usually because they're, you know, whatever the person's doing is visually or, you know, it's so stimulating and engaging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Outside of the idea that the idea is just enhanced by it it becomes more powerful with that. Totally. Yeah. But I mean as you know, as an abstract artist, I'm sure that a lot of your the people that you look at that you love as far as like formally in work mm-hmm. are people whose work is just about what the thing is, right? Yeah, self-referential. Sure. Way. Yeah. Um, Was that the stuff you were really like? Who were when you were coming out of school and you started full on transitioning back to you know abstract language? Like, mm-hmm. what were you most inspired by? I mean, I, I it's the people that I guess I continue to think of as is very inspiring um i was thinking a lot about artists like mary heilman jack winton uh jonathan lasker um hallie a a lot of people that were interested in some sort of like conceptual idea about abstraction and space right and space Yeah. yeah um um yeah and and that like and that there were stakes in that that game for them um like some sort of long-term stake in abstraction um and that it could also talk about the world um mm-hmm. i think all four of those people have managed to talk about the world while remaining an abstract artist yeah like mary's like domestic uh chairs you know in there or or the highways or you know J- jack would you know sometimes have 
the Pan-African flag in some of his paintings or um, just, just something that would like anchor you in the abstraction. And, uh, and that's something I'm really interested in is that like, well, you know, that's, that's a place that abstraction can continue to talk about. And now I feel like the, for me, the added layer is like, well, how can it talk about that plus the space that it's in? Um, can it talk about its own language plus the, the thing that houses it? Um, and that, that seems like an expanded painting place, like an expanded painting problem. Um, a way to kind of keep abstraction remaining uh, re- relevant in a time in which, gosh, it can really seem like not really so relevant anymore. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Um, no, I totally you know. see that in your work. You know, that kind of asking the questions of itself and the larger questions and the context. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Which, and people like, like you said, Peter Halley, like, you know, reading about like the Panopticon and Foucault and like, mm-hmm. and how spaces can determine how we interact as humans, you know, yeah. like the bigger questions, but at the same time, formal questions about, you know, the painting itself and the space. And yeah. then also like sort of artificiality of those colors and man-made production. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of levels. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what good abstraction does is that it, well, I don't know if I want to say good abstract. I mean, that can be a great tool of abstraction to really yeah. talk about, you know, those broader issues about our world, but mm-hmm. through the language of, you know, itself in yeah. a way and get, cutting out the illusion, the middleman of illusion. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think it all depends on it. And that's the thing. It's like what the person wants to say and connecting to it yeah. in, in the best way they can do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's why a lot of times really good artists like look to a lot of different people. I mean, you, you probably get, a lot of oh you must like blah 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 sure, you must yeah. like you know what I mean <laughs> yeah that yeah, yeah. became so frustrating to me because early on people would say oh you just must like uh, Ed Ruscha or Alex Katz or mm-hmm. Charles Sheeler mm-hmm. it's like the same few people mm-hmm. and I'd never painted people before so that's why I went on like a like a, it was like a couple years of just painting nothing but portraits of people really yeah just because like these are people I like or these yeah. are people in my head sure that you wouldn't have known of unless I painted them right. Do you know what I mean right right so I I think it's yeah, there's so many different ways you can do it, you know? Yeah, I agree. When you're working in your studio, are you listening to music? Are you listening to pocket? Like, what is the fuel for the work other than, like, what you're looking at? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to get, like, eye rolls for this. But, um, but yeah, I just <laughs> <laughs> I just listen to, like, a lot of ambient uh, music now. Um High rolls, why? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I feel like there's like an idea about like what an abstract painter is probably listening to. <laughs> and I feel Ornette like... Coleman <laughs> or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know, this almost, it almost feels cliche that like that's what I listen to. But yeah, I mean, um, people like... Uh, well, well, all of like the people that were like surrounding Eno mm-hmm. are really important to me. Laraji, Harold Budd, um, got. Guthrie, uh, Reich, and a number of other people. And then there's a, you know, a bunch of people who are like kind of taken that stuff and gone in new directions with it now. Um, like Daniel Lapatin mm-hmm. and, and, um, uh, Tim Hecker and other people, you know, um, where there's just like, you know, this is, this is music that might just let me kind of drift and, yeah. and I'll kind of like find 
I'll kind of like let the world fade fade to the back a little bit and kind of be in this other headspace. I think there's something to be said to the. I mean, I'm always trying to correlate music with certain kinds of images and you know visual things. Yeah, and abstraction and electronic instrumental music just kind of a lot of times it works because yeah. there is in an in instrumental and electronic music. There's a level of abstraction going on. You yeah. know what I mean? But totally. it's still creating an environment mm-hmm. of feeling without it being too, because you know, lyrics will put you in a specific place. Sure. Even yeah. if they're not, you know, telling a story necessarily, they're taking you to that image of whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and, it's also really visual. Like, yeah. I think like, uh, ambient music is so visual. It's like you're, you're able to, get a sense of like how sound can also talk about like volume and mass and, and uh, fullness or emptiness, like things that are really like painting kind of related to um, that are there. And it's also deeply emotional too. I think like it's, um, I think, you know, a a pop song can also be emotional, but it's, it's just, it's grounded or like rooted in something, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit more a- anchored differently. Yeah. yeah. And I like how like ambient isn't. Are you listening to some of the more contemporary stuff that's coming out of the people that you mentioned, like Fortet or, yeah, yeah. you know, Boards of Canada or people like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't heard or listened to Fortet and Boards of Canada in a long time, but, um, but I do remember liking them a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff kind of along those lines. That I think is really interesting. Um, There's so much now too, because yeah. if you get on one of those algorithms, yeah, <laughs> on yeah. one of those music stations, yeah. you know what I mean. Go like, down that rabbit hole. I'll hear a really great kind of like electro trap instrumental, <laughs> thing, and I'm just like, oh, this is yeah. really good. And yeah. then I'll go to the artist page, yeah, and it has like 1,400 plays, yeah. I'm like, that's how does that possible? You know what I mean? It's sure. just funny, but it's on the algorithm of what you're listening to, yeah, you know. So that's kind of interesting that you will be able to find those sort of indie mm-hmm. people who are influenced by maybe some of the bigger acts that came before it, sure. you know, and it'll lead you down the direction of some of these more underground people who are doing things in their basement yeah, and totally. uploading it, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's garage rock culture these days, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. It's like bedroom laptop culture. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in that, like, before that stuff was like, it had such a limited niche following of like people who are interested in, in it. I mean, I think it's just like the evaporation of any sort of underground culture or counterculture mm-hmm. that like you and I grew up in like the end of a counterculture, which also meant like the end of like actual underground music. Yeah. And it wasn't just because it was like underground that made it cool. It was also like, there was a, a kind of community that was formed around that, like in a sense of belonging, especially for kids who didn't feel like they belonged in the first place, which right. I think is a lot of art kids. It like kind of created a sense of like community, you know? Um, yeah. I have questions about whether or not everything being available and streamable and downloadable and like accessible is always for the better. It's like, well, like there's something nice about having, having your own things that you and your group of people identify with and feel close as a result about. Yeah. Um, because we don't all like the same things and we don't all appreciate the same kinds of perceptions. And you, you, you kind of do need to extract yourself and, and have these moments of like, you know, engaging with that public and then kind of having your own private, private world again. Those are nice. Yeah. I, 
I mean, other music was a place that I used to go to that was kind of like HQ for that. You yeah. Know? yeah. And yeah. I had my aisle that I would go to another music. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And sure. then the, you know, there would be the guys who worked there. Mm-hmm. Like when a guy, Daniel Givens, we used to, my band used to tour with him and he worked there and right. you know, he always knew the good stuff that was coming out. So you'd have your people there who would like point you in the right direction. And yeah. And yeah, it's just, you don't have that anymore. Really. Yeah. 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 It's totally different. It's changed. Yeah. I mean, the same thing was true for the art world was like, you and maybe the people who were interested in the same ideas or artists, like you knew your stuff. Yeah. Um, and really if only if other people wanted to investigate would they have like some relationship to it. Like you just had to seek things out. No. And now everything just kind of like comes to us. It's like, well, like you're probably going to hear about it or see it at some point. Like you don't have to like, dig <laughs> yeah you don't have to crate dig anymore yeah, yeah i like going to strand because i can find old catalogs oh yeah totally and stuff that you, yeah you can't find it because yeah. it's pre-internet yeah and some of it's not really in circulation right like i found a uh, alan archangelo huh oh catalog yeah. from a show from the 80s yeah. or something yeah i'm sure it was great and i've seen some of his work at fairs within the past five to eight years or yeah. something here and there in a group show or something i'll, right. I'll see but there's a bunch of work like I got this catalog and there's work in there that I had never seen a lot yeah, of it yeah. that I'd never seen before. And I don't think it's on the internet totally. or at least I haven't seen it. Yeah. And I've Google image shirts, you know, <laughs> I've, I've looked. Yeah. So it's really, it, it's kind of fun to find places like that where you could still get some stuff that's not yeah. around anymore. And I mean, I sold my record player when I moved to the city cause I didn't have space for it. Right, so right, yeah. I can't go out and find old records <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, there's something to be said for that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, deep investigation that I yeah. think now is, I don't know, it's changed. Well, now we kind of see artists for like the, the, the heyday that they had as opposed to like anything else. Like when I saw that, um, that David Hockney show, um, yeah. at the Whitney, mm-hmm. uh, it was like last year or two years ago or something. I mean, what was so radical for me, it was kind of like, man, I didn't know any of that early work. Like, I was like, whoa, this early work has relationships to a lot of the stuff that was going on around it. Yeah. I could see, like, Jasper Johns in that work, but I also could see relationships to, like, what, like, when when Warhol and Clemente and Basquiat would collaborate. I was like, oh, there was, like, a lot of, like, that, like, even early David Sally. Like, I could see the era that it was all formed in, late 70s or, you know, late early seventies or something like that. And, um, it struck me that, um, only in a retrospective, can I get that snapshot view or long view, I should say of an artist like that. Otherwise, when I think of David Hockney, I think of like, Oh, I'm thinking of like those like mid seventies paintings that you did, the pool paintings. Right. Yeah. And like, that's who you are and that's what you're about. And that's what your deal is. Like, it's a very curated branded, like truncated view of that artist. Um, but we're doing that with contemporary artists now too, where like, there's this like real desire to kind of like, you know, want that version to be the version. Even, you know, I see it on the part of like people who are my age or younger, where it's like, they've already decided what the style is. And now it's about like continuing the style from here into like the next 30 or 40 years. And it's like, that's actually not what the model is or should be. Like the model is to kind of actually move, move around with a lot more breadth than that and take a lot more risks. Um, putting on shows that may or may not be received well critically or financially mm-hmm. as part of like 
as part of what this is about um, right. in order to grow. Um, God, I wonder if they you know. think you just have a couple big shows or something and then you go away forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know when people say like, oh, that person's still showing work? I'm sure people have said it. I'm about sure, yeah, I'm sure people <laughs> think that about me too. <laughs> like, oh, geez, that guy's still around working? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where if it's not in that direct public image consciousness it's, yeah. it doesn't exist yeah yeah do you know what i mean but i think a lot of the fringe stuff is some of the most interesting stuff that could be carried on yeah into the new you know what i mean that's mm-hmm. why museum shows like that are so important yeah i think yeah me too you know and uh yeah like john i remember in undergraduate school my my um my studio neighbor and you know we were roommates he had like an art in america in the bathroom and it mm-hmm. had john wesley on the cover right and I was like, what is this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'd never seen it before. It was so weird. It's like, I don't know, a naked guy chasing a duck. Or <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? You know, yeah, it yeah. looks like pop art, but this is different. And, you know, I had to, like, do some investigation, sure. go to the library and dig it up or whatever. But it was really exciting because it, it was pop, but it was weird. It was yeah. different, you know? And I think just as in music, you know, it's like there's Zeppelin, which is great. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the third tier garage rock that you never really heard much of you know right right. or like people like can or something Mm -hmm. and you find out about them later and Mm -hmm. that that's like the nugget that a lot of people will take and and kind of go with yeah you know what i mean but what happens when that when that disappears right right. and it's only the main channel that gets Mm -hmm. broadcast Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean no i i totally agree i mean i think that's um I mean, it's interesting to see like the internet kind of fold in on itself because I think there was this moment where it's kind of like, look, like everything happening all at once and you can just kind of like, you know, find whatever kind of experience artistically or whatever you might want. And now it's kind of going back into this very uh, hierarchical kind of thing again. Like, oh, well, these are the websites that get the most attention and so they're the ones that remain the most relevant. Uh, these are the social media pages that do that, and so are the ones that remain the most relevant. Like, there's a God, um, that's so depressing. Yeah, it's like the Walmart yeah. of everything. Yeah, yeah. It's it really like we is. have we have the internet. We can all share everything, yeah. but only on this these two platforms totally. that one person owns. Right. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that, like that guy that does those, like that um, that fuck Jerry guy that. Oh has those yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his, that stuff is so terrible. I mean, it's like like some of the most generic uh, memes one can watch. But like there's a, um, but like it's also like wow like this is somebody who's like amassed a huge following that everybody from a lot of walks of life has like engaged with at some point and mm-hmm. like and so it this like funneling happens again, kind of because like the platform is ultimately a really really capitalist one and so it's gonna do that it's gonna like make like winners and losers out of the whole thing right yeah yeah. That's just- <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're talking so much about like, well, I want to, cause I know you write and yeah. you're, you're, you teach and you're sure. investigated and all this stuff bigger than and people. I don't really get that much flack from the podcast, but sometimes people are like, why don't you talk about the paintings more? Like, more? <laughs> Usually it's, I'm yeah. interested in like bigger life thing. You know, sure, I sure. love the work too, but yeah. you know, I wanted to crack the shell on some of this stuff and what you were thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk more about your paintings. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you recently and what do you have upcoming? What are you working on now? Uh, so I, I just, uh, I had a, a group show in New York and then I had this, sh- this show in France that ended mm-hmm. in, in April. Um, and now, I, you know, that show that I had in France was, what was good for me is that a lot of my work in the past, I'd say, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years has really been kind of on the grid 
at least from a formal perspective, everything is kind of like falling into kind of into some sort of grid-like arrangement, dealing with the corners or dealing with like the space in some sort of like kind of rigid, formatted kind of way. And when I did this show in France, I um, had a lot of hanging fabric. I didn't want to ship a bunch of paintings that would then be expensive to ship back to New York um, and then like worry about like, will they get there in time or will they all be damaged? And so I was like, why don't I do some, I'll like, I'll send out some prints. Like I made some designs, bought some um, fabrics that had designs on them already and just responded to them. Um, made my own kind of mark making in relation to them. And then acrylic on fabric, acrylic on fabric. Yeah. yeah. Um, put some grommets in, in the corners and then hung them. Um, and it forced me to do some things painting wise that I'd never done before things that I wouldn't have considered, um, finished or like, like what wasn't ready to sit with. And I didn't have a ton of time to sit with it either, which was also kind of a nice, a nicety. I was kind of like, Oh, you're just going to roll. You're just going to like see how this feels and go with it. Um, and since I've been back in the studio now, um, now that the semester's done, I've been like in there and things are, are shifting. There's still some of the same kind of ideas and some of the same language that's at work, but it's become way more, um, uh, the, the space has broken up into a, a lot more parts and there's less reliance on symmetry, less reliance on, um, Duality and a lot of my paintings in the past couple of years, especially like that show at Stevens, um, there's like two things, like two windows, which I kind of almost saw as like two placeholders for eyes. Like mm-hmm. here's this thing and here's this other thing. It's funny you can't see it at once. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, you yeah. have to kind of relate them. Sure, it's not like this one thing that you can take in. Yeah, well, especially too when you're working with the walls and everything, it becomes environmental. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was interested in kind of breaking down the space in which it was kind of like your the painting is going to break down into parts. Sometimes it will become a whole again, but then it's going to just break down into parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm seeing my paintings as kind of just like a bunch of parts where it's like, okay, like, the, like making these works on paper recently in preparation for paintings where, um, where I'm like allowing the parts to kind of be what they are. Um, there's also less... Um, I think there's a little, for me at least as a painter, there's a little less obviousness to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe what I have been doing hasn't been obvious either, but um, but as the maker, I feel like you know way more close to the thing. Um, so yeah, it feels good. I actually feel like I'm in territory now for the first time in a long time this past you know six months, where I'm no longer um, having such a uh, strict formula for how I start the painting. There's a less lot, planned out, yeah, a little more way, improvisational, way more improvisational, and it feels really good. Yeah. Um, like I felt like you know maybe a lot of painters feel like this, like like you you're like trying to make a painting, mm-hmm. you're like trying to like get at the thing instead of just the making the thing, right? And um, I think my process allowed for some of that, and some of that I've liked, you know, like kind of like execution like style in the studio where like oh it was a drawing and then it was a study and now it's the painting and it went through all these iterations that the painting was like it it was resolved by that time like I knew what I was doing and there there was little room for like screwing it up you know Um, and now I'm like no like I, I think I want a little bit more room for like chance in this thing and less um less decision fixed decision making at least guiding guiding it and um 
yeah, it's been a li- little bit like liberating. Uh, I feel like it's kind of all due to this this past show. Yeah. Did, well, did you turn off the Philip Glass and Steve Rice? <laughs> put on the Ornette Coleman? <laughs> uh, yeah, was, um, mostly Rihanna. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> She's so uh, improvisational. Yeah, really. She's great. Um, no, I... Um, you know, I, I think it was a mix of things. I think it was a time thing. I mean, I had... I found out about this solo show in France in December and it was like, okay, do you want to do this for April of 2019? And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I can do that. While you're teaching. Yeah, while I was teaching. So it didn't leave me much time to like get get my head around what it is I wanted to do. And Sometimes that can... Right? Yeah. It can be good. Yeah, it was really good. It shifted things for me. It shifted like my perspective and... Um, yeah, it, like it's now jolted me into some new place. Uh, well, I'm sure you've done it. Like, I'm sure you've done like the drawing exercise where you know you make ten drawings in like mm-hmm. ten minutes or something, right? right with right. the figure, and then it forces you to loosen up and not be so you know tight. You yeah, know? yeah. And then once we get out of school, you it's not like you're normally giving yourself those assignments again. <laughs> assignments. Yeah, it's true. But if you have a deadline, it's in a pinch. You know, you can make. I mean, I found that having a child changed, totally changed my studio practice I in bet. the sense that like okay, no more surfing the internet for hours or whatever right. it is. Like, I, when I come... Yeah, it's time to work. Yeah, yeah and you don't... Yeah. I can't labor over some of the decisions I would have really, like, take a long time to labor over. Yeah, yeah. And I just have to go with my gut. Sure. And sometimes that can be refreshing, you know. And yeah. I, hopefully that comes out in the work. So, like, you know, the work that you're talking about, mm-hmm. I would imagine people are getting a sense of, like, you know, that, that kind of direct... Mm-hmm you know, less planned and a little more kind of like, um, I don't know how to express it. It's kind of like a, you know, one-to-one mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. Of more direct relationship with the image. Yeah. 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 I'm more interested lately in finding an image through painting as opposed to having the image be so formed already. You're like that, executing the painting. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's merits to kind of working in a number of ways, but I feel like, Maybe I just trust myself a little bit more now too. I trust that like where where I might lead might be worth going. Yeah, I think it depends on what you want to say too. You sure, know? and how you want to say it. Yeah, you know, and improvisation can be a great way to have like a you know to, to almost like find understanding in things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to you. Uh, asking the viewer to understand what you're thinking about. Right. It's kind of like, no, I'm going to try to figure out an understanding from myself and making this image. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it, I always bring it back to music. There's something like, I love, you know, a good Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. Lester Young front to back, mm-hmm. and I love a, you know, an hour-long Ornette Coleman composition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They give you totally different things. Yeah. And one format isn't better than the other. They just take you to different places. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I think there's like a, there, in a lot of my painting, there's been this like back and forth conversation about control and, and chance, mm-hmm. um, or structure and gesture. And, um, and I, I feel like I, I know enough about those, um, about that dance to kind of let it, let it kind of be on its own, uh, to kind of like let it kind of guide guide things um because it's uh it's just there now yeah as opposed to me trying to make it there but yeah that's cool yeah so you have the summer off are you working towards anything you just starting some new stuff or 
I'm starting some new stuff. Um, more time in the studio? Yeah, a lot more time in the studio. I've, I've got some visits uh, here this summer with some galleries that I'm trying to prepare for. So there's a kind of... Um, I feel like I'm in the stage where I'm like plotting and planning like this next this next step. Um, I haven't had a chance to like make a lot of new work um, since I'd say like the end of March. Uh, so I'm just kind of in this place of of kind of getting back into it. But yeah, do you just, like that that yeah. kind of time off, like when you step away a little bit? You know, and actually, it's I it was like a forced step away. Yeah. Um, I went, I had the show, I had to ship everything. I then I had went over to France for the opening, mm-hmm. was there for ten days, came back, and then had like three weeks left of my semester. So like I couldn't, couldn't even get into my studio if I tried. Like yeah. it was just so there was like a forced like two month hiatus i actually got really depressed i was like i miss being in here and thinking about this and doing this it was like one of those wake-up calls i was like oh man like if i don't get in here like it i feel it like like an emptiness right yeah like a lostness like i don't know who i am and like what i'm about anymore um yeah so like kind of getting back in there i i do take breaks sometimes after i've been like working for a while um maybe for like a month or so but But it's kind of like a self-imposed one. It's like a big oh, difference. Yeah, yeah, right? totally. I mean, they can be advantageous, both of them. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. But one feels better than the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm stepping away for a yeah. few moments to sort of yeah. refresh. Not like yeah. I want to get in there and I'm not yeah. allowed to be in there right now. I yep. can't get in there. Yeah. And that's that could be yeah uh, frustrating. Yeah. But I've, you come back with the energy. Right. Right. I've told I've told this to my students for years. Like you should be drawing every day. Like even if it's just like doodling. And I don't do it, you know, and, yeah. and now I'm kind of like, you know what, if I ever have to have one of these forced or self-imposed things again, like, I'm just going to have my sketchbook at home that like, I can just like fuck around with on, yeah, like while I'm listening to music or zoning out because it's there and I can, you know. One of the best parts I think about teaching is you can't sit there and tell students to, to work hard or to read or to, you know, to challenge themselves, to t- change you know, their opinions about things to keep it fret, all that. You can't say all that stuff and not do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thanks Brian. (laughs) No, I do that all the time. I do it all the time because I think when, you know, when you're a student, naturally you're just like turning the gears. You're you're searching. You're just trying to find stuff. Yeah. Like when I was in undergraduate school, I was just like making bad painting after bad, but just scrambling in a dark room, trying to find something to hold on to. Yeah. But, and then as you get older, you realize how great that, in a way frustrating, oh, but how yeah. great that is to just have that energy to, yeah. to keep searching and, and trying to, uh, to push, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then if it ever feels like you're just executing or mm-hmm. just, you know, you can't do that. Like it, that's what, I think that's where art goes to die. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gravestone. Yeah. yeah. We're just, I'm just making another one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming over. Man. Yeah. It was really good to me. meet finally. And yeah. To have a good talk. Yeah. This was fun. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Please support the podcast by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. 
it really helps. And spread the word by telling your friends, anyone you think might be interested in hearing conversations with artists and musicians. Pass along the, the link to the podcast if you can. Many thanks for your support and listening. Thanks to Michael Lovett. Thanks to Lullatone. Thanks to Jason Stoba. Check out his work. Thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their support of our podcast. And thank you to all the listeners for sharing and listening and supporting all your messages. It's greatly appreciated. 